You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Year of Fulfillment. Enjoy. When it came to the Christmas Eve service, I said, you know, as I do towards the second half of the year, I say, Lord, what, what do you want to sh- uh, impart to us in the upcoming year? And I really felt in my heart that 2017 is the year of fulfillment. The year of fulfillment. That there are things... Uh, that people have had in their hearts, been believing for, for some time, and that this year they will manifest. That this is the year of fulfillment. And I got really excited about that. And we took off our religious goggles, right, at the, at the Christmas Eve service, and we're not going to put them back on. All right? We're never going to put them back on again. We're going to see God as He is in 2017. All right? We're going to take Jesus at his word regardless of what anyone says. We're going to do it. And this phrase, as I was thinking about the year of fulfillment, this phrase kind of came up. And it's this, fulfillment through faith in the finished work. The year of fulfillment through faith in the finished work. means it's already done, right? Jesus did it already for you. What kind of faith? Simple faith. We're having simple faith in who He is and what He's already done for us. You'll find that every need you could possibly imagine has already been abundantly supplied through Christ. Amazing how God has done it, but He's done it. So we've got a simple faith in 2017. It's an easy faith. It's an uncomplicated faith. It's a a kid's stuff, child's play, straightforward faith. Religion complicates things, doesn't it? But in 2017, we're going to simplify. We're becoming like children. In 2017. Are you ready to be like a child? If our dad says so, then it is so. Becoming like a child is the key to the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Yeah. Becoming like a child. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, Verse 13 and through 15. Let's put that up there. Now, there, people are bringing children to Jesus so that he could touch them and he can bless them. And Jesus' disciples are rebuking the people. <laughs> they say, stop. Jesus sees the disciples rebuking them in verse 14, and he gets mad at his disciples. Let's put verse 14 up there. Yeah, he gets mad at his disciples, and he says, Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such, for people who look at me like they do, belongs the kingdom of God. For people who long to be in my presence like they do, belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. Now, remember our goggles were taken off, our religious goggles. 
We know that Jesus is not, see that, who, who does not receive the kingdom of God? He's not talking about going to heaven. Okay? Just, just understand that right now. When he says entering into the kingdom of God, you'll see it throughout the scriptures, throughout the, 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 the gospels. He's not talking about going to heaven. What is he talking about? Experiencing the life of God. Experiencing the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Becoming like a child enables us to enter in and to enjoy, to participate in the abundant life he came to give us. All right? You'll see that phrase throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here, right now. In Luke 17, 21, he said the kingdom of God is within you. What does he mean by that? The ability to experience God is in your heart and in your mouth. Believe with your heart and open your mouth and experience the life that he has for you. So in 2017, we're becoming like children. We're not trying harder in 2017. Okay? We're not, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. No. We're resting and rejoicing in what he's already done. Because everything you need and desire has already been done in Him. Now, I got an email. I get e-devotionals and things from different ministries. This was from Pastor Jack Hayford's ministry. And boy, I thought it was very relevant to what we're talking about, 2017, the year of fulfillment. I want to read this to you. This is what he said. The word of the Lord is for His people, not to surrender their hope. Rise in faith with an expectation of a Red Sea kind of victory. Hold fast to the biblical examples of faith, knowing that God is working on your behalf. He is bringing you into a fruitful harvest. Step over the threshold into the season of suddenlies. As you begin to walk in a spirit of praise, not worry or fear, anticipating that soon the wait shall be cut short in His righteousness. Yes. So as I, I've been spending time with the Lord, and, you know, there are things that we bring before the Lord and things in our hearts, desires of our heart. And this is what the Lord has been saying to me. Sing, for I have done it. Sing, for I have done it. It's taken care of. So just sing. Just worship me. Just thank and praise me, for I've done it. Whatever it is. Whether it's healing, whether it's financial provision, whether it's wisdom, whether it's a situation in your family or a circumstance at work, begin to worship him that he has taken care of it. Amen. That you have the victory in him. 
Hallelujah. Isn't that great? And as you spend time with the Lord, listen, as you keep your mind on him, as you keep your mind stayed on his love for you and everything he's done for you in Christ through 2017, the Holy Spirit will daily inspire you. He will give you visions for your future. In his presence is divine inspiration. And when you're divinely inspired, nothing can stop you. When your inspiration has been born from heaven, you're unstoppable. The goodness of God inspires us. God wants to inspire you right now. In Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, our Father who art in heaven says this, Call to me and I will answer you. And I'll tell you great and unsearch, unsearchable things you don't know. The message translation says it like this, I'll tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. Don't go through another day without divine inspiration in your life. Because I guarantee you, God's plan for your life is beyond your greatest dream. The satisfaction and intoxication that God will give you is greater than anything you've ever tasted. And the things of this world lose their glitter when you've been inspired by Him. See, that's why so many struggle with, with uh, alcohol or drugs or or. Uh, um, prescriptions or different things, they're hooked on them because they're, they're lacking divine inspiration. When you've had a moment with the one who made you, man, there's no drug, there's no drink that can compare to that, and you'll never settle for anything less. Man-made stuff just doesn't cut it. In Jeremiah 32, verse 40, our Heavenly Father says this, I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. Now, was Jeremiah before the cross or after the cross? Before, right? This is a prophetic statement about what you and I now have, the covenant that you and I now have through simple faith in Christ. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. What's that covenant? I will never... Stop doing good to you. So what's God going to be doing in your life in about an hour? Good. What's He going to be doing in your life in 10 minutes? Good. What about tomorrow? Good. He's never going to stop doing good to you. So if you want to know what God's doing in your life, it's good. If it's bad, it's not Him. We're becoming like children in 2017. 
And the, and the simplicity of childlike faith is knowing that he is 100% good 100% of the time. I'll never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them. God wants to inspire you right now. And I believe he's doing it by his spirit, through his word. I will inspire them to fear me. That's not a, a, a fear of danger. That's an affectionate, awesome reverence of your Father so that they'll never turn away from me. Verse 41, I will rejoice in doing them good. How often does he do you good? All the time. If he never stops doing good, then he's always doing good, right? So I'll rejoice in doing them good 24-7. Right? And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. Now understand, in the Old Testament, the promised land was a geographic location. In the New Testament, the promised land is a quality of life. It's you living your daily life, experiencing His promises. Assuredly, I will plant them in the center of my purpose and promises. So like children in 2017, we're personally knowing the goodness of God in our own hearts, and it brings us into this whole new quality of life. We become like children as we meditate on the goodness of God. So it's easy to become like a child. Just take the promises of God and meditate on them. It will lift you up into a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of living. Jesus exhorts us to have this simple, uncomplicated, childlike faith. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, God in the flesh is speaking to us. And boy, it just couldn't get any simpler than this. Ask, it will be given. One plus one equals two, right? Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. So Jesus reveals that God is not holding anything back from us. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. One of the things we like to do at Christmas time, we'll watch old movies, you know, Christmas movies. And it's kind of funny. I hear some of the little side comments they'll make about praying and, well, I hope God heard you or things like that, you know. But where does that kind of thinking come from? Not from Jesus. Jesus says, ask, it should be given you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. Right? In fact, it, God is not holding anything good back from us. There's nothing you can do to make God want to give to you any more than he already does. In verse 32 of Romans chapter 8, Paul writes by the Holy Spirit, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's the God who never stops doing good to you. 
He's the one who rejoices in doing good to you all the time. He's the one who delights in giving you all things. 2017, the year of fulfillment through simple faith in the finished work of Christ. Hallelujah. Verse back to chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 8. I love how simple Jesus makes it. Keep it simple in 2017. For everyone that asks receives. Wow, I don't have to light any candles. I don't have to call 100 people to pray for me. I don't have to get a prayer chain going. Not saying that's wrong. But when I ask him, he receive, I receive it. He hears me. Everyone who asks receives. And he that seeks, find. And to him that knocks, it shall be open. Now here we go. That childlike faith. What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Man, we all can get that. That's a, a simple analogy. That's a, a simple example that everyone can understand. No one would do that, right? Unless they're deranged or crazy, right? Perverted. Or if he asks a fish, we'll give him a serpent. We get you, Jesus. You're making it simple and plain. Verse 11, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, what kind of gifts? Good. I'll never stop doing good to you. I will rejoice in doing them good. We know he will give us all things. What kind of things? All good things. Yeah. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give what kind of things? Good things. Never stop. Good things to them that ask him. We're like children in 2017, knowing that our Father is good all the time. James said it this way every good gift. James 1:17, let's put it up there. Every good gift. And every perfect gift is from above. Are you wondering if it's from God? Is it good? Right? It's from Him. Every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I like how the message says it. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Wow. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. I like this line right here. There is nothing deceitful in God. Nothing two-faced. Nothing fickle. See, when we begin to meditate on the goodness of God, our thinking changes. Our expectation changes. Our outlook on our future changes. Now, just to make sure we don't put our religious goggles back on, we're going to focus on something right now. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Because sometimes people get upset 
Uh, you should have the whole verse there, Eden, I think, if you go further back. No? Unless you didn't put it up there. Get the whole verse there somewhere. But sometimes people when you, will criticize people like me, pastors, who talk so much about the goodness of God. They'll say, well, you've got to talk about other stuff too. Well, do you really? Is there anything more important or more transforming than the goodness of God? I don't know of anything. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Oh, I don't. I crave it. I, I take baths in it. I sleep in it. I roll around in it. I jump up and down in it. The riches of his goodness. Forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Stop the train. What did we say? What Repentance? What is that? All right. We want to make sure you've got those religious goggles in the trash where they belong. What do most people think of? When they think of repentance, maybe falling on your knees, crying, right? Grief, being sorry for what you've done or grieving over what you've done, punishing yourself for what you've done. I want you to know in 2017, the Bible does not teach that. That is not what biblical repentance is. Repentance, the Greek word there, because remember the New Testament was written in Greek, not English, not Latin. It was written in Greek. The Greek word there is metanoia. It means to think differently. The goodness of God leads you to think differently. Not beat yourself up. Not punish yourself. Not fall on your knees and cry, but to think differently. Now, we're going we're gonna to tear this thing apart. Are you ready? It actually means a change of thought and a change of purpose. The goodness of God leads you to change your thinking and change your purpose. Now, I've done research over this on the years. I like to study. And I'm going to read you some stuff from a bunch of sources uh, Wayside Cross Ministries publication, uh, Vines Expository Dictionary, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, just so you don't think I'm making this stuff up, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, BibleStudyTools.com, Francis Dutois, The Mirror Bible, and others. But I'm just going to put it all together, I condensed it for you, and I'm going to read it to you. Is that all right? We're talking about becoming like children, right, in 2017. The year of fulfillment through simple faith in the finished work. All right? When we meditate on his goodness, it changes the way we think and it changes our purpose for living. All right. This word repentance. A source of the modern day confusion lies in the history of the English word repentance. 
we get the English word repent from the Latin word reponitere. I don't know how to say it, but I'm just going to pronounce it this way. And the Latin translation of the Bible uses ponitentium agire, which literally means exercise penitence. This is Latin, not the Greek. All right? Which actually in Latin, not Greek, not what the New Testament was written, and in Latin, it signifies pain, grief, or distress, rather than a change of thought and purpose. We also get our English word penitentiary from this Latin word, prison. And that's what this religious concept of repentance will put you in, a spiritual prison. You'll never come into the abundant life because you're so you're caught up in the grief and condemnation of the sin that you've committed. And it's this vicious cycle that just sends you down and down and down and down. All right? But when you realize Jesus bore my sins, that I'm forever forgiven in him, there's no condemnation for me, then now I begin to rise above my mistakes and my sins and walk in this new kind of life. So the word penitentiary comes from the same word. The dictionary says that penance is voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of repentance, of repentance for having done wrong. That's what most people think of when they see repent in the Bible. This self-infliction, right? Inflicting yourself, punishing yourself as an expression of, of what you've done wrong. Thus, Latin Christianity has been corrupted by the pernicious error of presenting grief over sin rather than abandonment of sin as the primary idea of New Testament repentance. We doing okay? Everyone awake? You don't mind if I read a little bit, do you? It was easy to make the transition from penitence to penance. Penance is not in the Bible. Hello. Consequently, the Romanists represent Jesus and the apostle and the apostles as urging people to do penance. Ponitentia magire. Not in the Bible. I was amazed when I started reading the Bible. What was not in there. <laughs> the English word repent is derived from the Latin reponitere and inherits the fault of the Latin, making grief the principal idea and keeping in the background, if not altogether out of sight, <laughs> the fundamental New Testament concept of a change of mind. Wow. The exhortations of the ancient prophets of Jesus and of the apostles show that a change of mind is the dominant idea. Mm -hmm. Let me keep reading a little. Almost done. English translations do little to help us understand what repentance truly is. Now, this is really eye-opening here. So in 382, a Latin translation, that's about 350 years or so after Jesus, a Latin translation came out called the Vulgate. It was Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation in 382, 300 some years after Jesus, okay? So until Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation in 382 AD, the word metanoia 
was commonly used. For instance, Tertullian wrote in 198 AD, in Greek, metanoia is not a confession of sins, but a change of mind. Say that again. Repentance is not, metanoia is not a confession of sins, but a change of mind. But despite this, the Latin fathers began to translate the word as do penance, following a large Roman denomination's teaching on doing penance. It became one of the main tools for generating income in religion. Right. Doing penance. Hello. Uh -huh. Just being real here. Religion has robbed people of the simplicity of faith in Christ. Now, I'm just reading history here. Last paragraph. In 1430, Lorenzo Valle, a Catholic theologian, began a critical study of Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And Valia, this Catholic theologian, pointed out many mistakes that Jerome had made. Sadly, the Vulgate-only crowd of Valia's day forced him to renounce many of the changes that he noted needed changing in the Vulgate. Jerome's translation, including the poor translation of Metanoia. It's like that in recent days. There are some say you got you have to read the King James. Well, there are errors in the King James. Well, why? No. People do that. The Bible wasn't written in English. There are errors in different translations. How do we recognize them? By studying the gospel Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. You get to know the character and heart of God. You can't understand the word of God if you don't know the heart of God. Okay? So in 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 um, What's his name here? What's my friend's name? Lorenzo Valle's day in 1430. They, they were like the, somewhere with the King James today. They said, no, it's, it's the Latin Vulgate or none other translation. Right? He said, but wait, there's some errors here. No. They forced them to renounce it. So this idea of grief over sin has made relationship with God a very difficult thing. Right, right, right. So people don't want to come to church. They don't want to, they're, they're afraid, right? And it, it's made a relationship with God about trying to atone for your sin rather than victory over sin through faith yeah. in Christ yeah. who's already atoned for it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Romans chapter 2, just ver the, the end of verse 4. Let's look at just the end of that. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to a change of thought and a change of purpose. Okay? Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now that we understand what repent really is, we're going to find out that God invites us to change the way we think and to change the purpose for our lives. All right, verse 14. Now after John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel. Now there's another English word that we don't really know what it means. The, the Greek word, I don't know how to say it, evangelion. it literally means good news or an announcement of good things. 
All right? So Jesus came announcing good things about God. Uh -huh. yes. That there's a different way to live. Yes. You don't have to live in grief and condemnation anymore. Oh, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly now. Yes, yes. Preaching the good news, announcing good things about God, verse 15, and saying, What? The time is fulfilled. The year of fulfillment. Jesus did everything that needs to be done for you to be whole. Amen. Amen. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is right here, right now. Change the way you think, change your purpose, and believe in the good news that I'm announcing. Forsake grief and self-punishment and put your faith in me and experience the abundant life I've come to give you. Amen. Glory to God. It's a different way of living. That's right. This is why so many Christians have developed a reputation for being cranky. Because they haven't received or understood what this what the gospel really is saying. Hallelujah. Boy, this is so good. This is so good. So real repentance is an invitation from God to think differently. To have a different purpose for living. It's thoughts that are built upon his goodness. It's a purpose that grows from believing in who he is. Now, this is powerful. We're going to end with this. We have one more scripture to go to. Boy, this is so good. Metanoi, metaneo, so there's repent and repentance. Metaneo means to change one mind and change one's purpose as the result of after knowledge. In other words, before you heard what you heard, you thought differently. Right. You had a different purpose. Right. But in light of what you've just heard now, you're thinking a different way. You're thinking in line with what you've just heard now. And now your purpose is in line with what you just heard. That's what Jesus was saying right there. Right? Now, now listen to what I'm saying. God is good. I've come you and have life abundantly. And receive it and let who I am change the way you think and change your purpose for living. Okay? Now, the Greek word for repent is metaneo, which is construct of the words meta, M-E-T-A, meaning after, and noeo, meaning to think, to think after. In other words, repentance is a decision on our part to think again or to think after, literally to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It's a decision to turn around and pursue another path. It's, a, it's thinking God's thoughts after him. Religion tells you you can't do that, and you're not allowed to do that. But God wants you to do that. He wants you to think like he is. He does. And talk like he talks. Live as he lives. Embrace this God life. Right? So last scripture, Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to see that God invites us to think like he thinks. 
And these same scriptures that I'm going to read in Isaiah 55 have been taught to say the opposite. That you can't understand the way God thinks. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. You will never understand him. He's mysterious. He, you, we just will never know. That's not at all what these scriptures are saying. So let's put that up there. We got Isaiah 55, verse 6. We'll start. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's repentance, right? Seeking him. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his what? Oh, put that verse up there, guys. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his? Well, what's repentance? Changing your thoughts, right? This is an invitation to repent, right? Forsaking your thoughts, let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What we're seeing here is a contrast between our thoughts or un, un, ungodly thoughts and God's thoughts. Between man's thoughts and God's thoughts, okay? Man's thoughts are, are lead to fear, insecurity, will keep you away from God. God's thoughts lead to mercy and abundant provision, all right? Verse 8, for my thoughts, see how he's making a comparison here? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Now he's talking about the unrighteous, the wicked, the ungodly, right? He's not talking about us today. We're new creations in Christ. We fill our minds with his promises, with his thoughts, right? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Comparison being made here, says the Lord. This is an invitation not a shunning. He's just saying, come on, start thinking like I think. Start living like I live. Receive my mercy. Receive my abundance. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? Now look at verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, I was clearing a lot of that yesterday, <laughs> and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower. Is that a good thing? Yeah. How about bread to the eater? Is that a good thing? Yeah. So shall my word be that goes forth from, our, from my mouth. So if we make his word, our thoughts, good things begin to grow in our lives. God's word is a seed that produces good things. He's inviting us to replace our thoughts with his thoughts so that the good things he has for us can grow and be fulfilled in our lives. So shall be my word that goes forth from my mouth. And God's word reveals his thoughts, by the way, right? It shall not return to me void. Nothing can stop the word. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Well, we, we, we already know what he's up to. What's he say? I'll never stop. So what does God want to accomplish in your life? Go back to verse uh, 11, guys. What does God want to accomplish in your life? Good 
things, right? Didn't we read that earlier in Jeremiah? I'll never stop doing good to them. I'll rejoice in doing them good. We saw in Romans 8, 32, he's given us all things. So God is bringing his word into your life so that good things can come about in your life. That's what he wants for you. It comes through simple faith, a simple receiving of his word, just like Mary did. We talked about on Christmas Eve. God spoke to her through Gabriel, the angel, and said, you're going to bear a child. She said, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. How can this be? He said, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God wants to do things in your life that are impossible. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So God sends his word in his, into your life to do good things to you, to heal you, to provide for you, to strengthen you, to set you free, to lead you higher. Verse 12 now. For you shall go out with joy. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. So if you want to know, if God is leading you, joy will be present and peace. God leads by joy and peace. Yes. There's not a joy with it, not a peace with it. It's not Him. For you'll go out with joy and be led out with peace. That doesn't mean there can be some, some doubts or fears or worries trying to discourage you from doing it, but deep down in here, there will be a joy and a peace about it, okay? Doesn't mean everything's going to go smoothly. Doesn't mean you won't have any challenges. It means in your heart, you'll have a joy and a peace that's beyond the challenges, that's greater than the challenges, all right? Following Jesus doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory all the time. Have you ever heard that phrase? I don't even know what it means. I mean, I don't know where it comes from, but I know what it means. Hunky-dory. In other words, choosing to follow Christ doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly in your life. We're living in a fallen world. Satan's the God of this world, right? There's, there's resistance to the will of God. But following Christ does mean that I will always be victorious. Yeah. Thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph in Christ. I may not always look victorious, but if you keep watching, you're going to see the victory in my life. You'll go out with joy. You'll be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. The cypress symbolizes a noble, stately, luxuriant, productive life. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Myrtle is a tree with green shining leaves, snow white flowers bordered with purple. It's said of the myrtle, it emits a perfume more exquisite than that of the rose. We are the fragrance of Christ under God, 2 Corinthians 2.15, discernible alike among those who are perishing and those who are being saved, right? And it shall be for the Lord, for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be 
cut off. The joy and peace that you have in your life from meditating on the goodness of God will be a sign to those around you that there is a better way to live. I'm going to read Francis Dutrois' little summary of this scripture, and then we're done. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11 gives meaning to metanoia. Here's his rendering of these verses. Your thoughts were distanced from God's thoughts as the heavens are higher than the earth. That was the distance between ungodly thinking and God's thinking. Night and day difference. But just like the rain and the snow would cancel that distance and saturate the soil to awaken its seed, so shall my word be that proceeds from my mouth. His word cancels the distance between heaven and earth. Faith in his word makes heaven come alive in your life. The distance caused by Adam's fall is compared to the distance between heaven and earth. And it is canceled in the incarnation of Christ. Nothing is separating us anymore from our Father. Metanoia suggests a co-knowing with God. It's an intertwining of thought. It is to agree with God about me. Repentance is a deliberate act of the will as we decide to turn around and follow God's way instead of our own. Amen. Aren't you glad you cleared your driveway and came today? Woo! So 2017, the year of fulfillment through simple faith in the finished work of Christ. And we are going to have fun in the sun. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this wonderful time. Lord, thank you for clearing the air. Thank you, Lord God, for for enabling us to see how good you are today. The 2017 is a year of your goodness overflowing in our lives, a year of your promises fulfilled and manifest. We thank you for it, Lord. Your word has canceled the distance between us and you. Your word has made us one. We're your sons. We're your daughters. You're our father, and nothing can ever separate us from you. And Father, I pray for those who are here today. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, let today be a special day of divine inspiration. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.